to chapter 18. Got to keep these notes a little higher because uh, I'm a little tall. Amen. Praise God. So America just finished their elections. Congratulations. <laughs> Took a little longer than expected. There might even be some people here this morning that voted for Gal Gore. A few. <laughs> and the question is, is Al Gore qualified to be a leader? That's the question. Do you want to be a leader? Is the title of my sermon. Because I read some things. You know, I'm a Dutchman. I, you know, I didn't vote, of course, for uh, Mr. Gore or either of Mr. Bush. But I read some articles about Mr. Gore. And Mr. Al Gore believes that he invented the Internet. The book, movie, love story was about him and his wife. He used to be sung asleep. I don't know what that exactly is. A trade union song, but you know. So he used to be sung asleep with a trade union song. And it wasn't written for another 27 years. He attended legislative meetings and watched his father drafting the American highway laws. But he was about seven years old at that time in the second grade. And he toured Texas after some fires and he was never there. So I don't think... A liar like that is a pretty good choice for the president of the most powerful country in the world. And you know, I am a Dutchman, but I must say, you have a lot to be proud of to be an American. Historically, today, and in the future. So you don't need a nerd like that to be a president. <laughs> that believes he invented the internet. <laughs> Is he qualified to be a leader? I don't think so. Matthew 18, verse 5. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come. But woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands and two feet and to be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gudge it out and throw it away, it is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, Jesus is very radical in his writings. And he's preaching here and writing here and talking here about leadership. 
after reading this scripture, are you still dying to become a leader? Are you still dying to become a pastor? Are you still dying to become a conference church leader? About ten years ago, there was a man that caused a split in our fellowship. Many men that followed were pastors, but there are no pastors anymore. They've lost the ministry. There have been many, many Christians, church members, that have backslid, gone back into the world, totally into sin, lost their salvation, lost destiny of heaven. Many pastors lost destiny of heaven through all of this because they totally backslid. Now you judge on the basis of Matthew... If this leader that's still alive today, that's still preaching today, now judge on the basis of this scripture if he's going to heaven or hell. Yes, but Rudy, he's still a preacher today. Well, that's no safeguard of going to heaven. There are many preachers going to hell. Some might even be in our fellowship. Now you judge on the basis of this scripture. It says in Matthew, whoever offends one of these little ones, it is better that a millstone is hanging around his neck and swallowed into the depths of the sea. So the hell part is still debatable here. Still debatable. Swallowing into the sea could mean, mean several things. Can you say amen? So any theologian can, if you're a real theologian, you can circumvent the hell part still. So now Jesus places, he goes further in this scripture. That he says then, woe unto the world because of offenses. But woe to the man through which the offenses come. So now Jesus in this scripture is placing a far greater responsibility for the sole reason he says he is a leader, he is a pastor, and then he goes in this scripture into the hand and eye part, pluck it out, and places then the whole context of the scripture into hellfire. Now it's not debatable anymore. To my understanding of the scripture, it will be way easier for a leader or a pastor to go to hell than for someone who is not. Because there's a far greater responsibility. You are guarding and shepherding people's lives. You're not a power-hungry conference leader. You are, if you are a conference leader, you are responsible for many souls. Where God might turn a blind eye for the failure of a believer, He will not turn a blind eye for a leader or a pastor. I'm talking right now about responsibility of a leader because in verse 6 and 7, it's talking about offending and deceiving these little ones. It's a millstone. And, and, uh, but in 8 and 9, it, it's linking to God's hellfire. And then in verse 10, it goes straight back into offending these little ones. So the context is very clear. Someone told me this week, he says, Rudy, do you really believe that anyone outside this fellowship is going to hell? No, I don't. I don't believe that. But I do want to tell you something today. There's a big difference in being part of this fellowship and leaving it than an ignorant, charismatic Christian that has never seen this thing that we have here. There is a massive difference in having had the privilege 
of preaching and evangelizing and being involved in our powerful world evangelism and being confronted with this excellent preaching against sin and commitment and discipleship and leaving it, then never have heard it in the first place. Even so, it is not the will of my Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Do you still want to be a leader? If you do, then you better start understanding what that means. Being a leader or a pastor in our fellowship means that you exactly copy the leadership of Pastor Mitchell. Exactly. So, having said that, look at your life. Do you still qualify? It means that you exactly copy the leadership of Pastor Mitchell. And my question is now, Mr. Leader or Mr. Pastor, do you still qualify? Vision? Yes, it's a tremendous revelation from the throne to receive our vision. I, I read a letter and... Uh, in that letter, there was a letter around, sent, sent around and it says, in that letter, this man said, how many of us did not cringe when a preacher said, our father, which is in Prescott. Oh, you little weasel and griper and complainer. Oh, thou man of a very small mind. Of course, it is not totally theologically correct to combine it with our Lord Father's prayer. I understand that. But, at the other hand, is you don't even understand our vision. You don't have it. Yeah, you don't have it. It's not there. It's gone. Light is out. Because the vision is dreaming of the possibility and believing in the possibility that you can multiply your life in another man's life. Weasels cannot, but true men can. That's why every pastor in our fellowship that is not making disciples and is not multiplying his life in another man's life has no business to be a pastor because he does not possess the dream. He does not have it. It is not there. He cannot make disciples. The power of discipleship starts in following a man. And to become exactly like that man. You know, I heard this week, and I heard in the leadership in Phoenix, uh, that the fellowship is supernatural. It is something that is of God, and of God only. Yes, I believe that. It is supernatural through a man. And that's the other side of the coin. After you've become exactly like that man, you will be able to function without the help of that man, and then you become truly a leader. Then you will come to the stage by my, that you have an own revelation to know what to do. When he prays, that's how it starts. It's real simple discipleship stuff. When he prays, you pray. When he fasts, you fast. I told my church in Pretoria, when the fellowship fast was coming on, I told them, and I knew I was lying, but I told them, <laughs> that the entire fellowship in these coming three days, as a power of unity 
and fellowship because we are all of one accord and one mind together. We are going to fast and pray for revival in 2001. And it's so important, I told this powerful little pioneer church, that we all do it at the same time because we link our hearts worldwide for revival. And you were eating McDonald's hamburgers. Some of you. Maybe many of you. Let's not get in percentages because then I'd be dead. They'll be criticizing me for the rest of my life. Of course you fasted along, huh? When he fasts, you fast. When he evangelizes, you evangelize. The church number and frequency, that's your church number and frequency. His worship service, his song service, that's your worship service and song service. Oh, you have a better song service now. You have hill song now. Oh, you have a screaming, hollering song service for about one and a half hour. Do you love Jesus? Yes! I visited a charismatic church before I, before I started the church in Pretoria the first weeks that I was there. And there was a woman there screaming from the platform, Do you love Jesus? I don't believe in divorce, but now I understand why this pastor divorced her. What he studies, when he studies, you study. Everything this man does, you do. The way he lives for God, you live for God. Everything this man believes, you believe. You believe what he believes about miracles, church planting, about reaching the world. And if you do not believe what he believes, you have not a right to be a pastor or a leader in our fellowship. You know what would be best for our fellowship? That every man that is not doing what we are doing, that we would plant a young man filled with love and vision and a desire to be used by God and plant them right on top of it because they're dead anyways. Maybe that should be my new ministry in the future. You think I will succeed? You think it's worthwhile? In our text it says that God is not willing that one of these sheep will be lost under demonic leadership. One out of the 99 is worth it. Every soul in those churches is worth it. Because the gospel is radical, folks. It's powerful. Jesus, just look at the scriptures Jesus uses. If you do not gather with me, you scatter. Total polarization. Jesus has very sharp and accurate remarks how to live for God. And if you start deviating from that just one little bit in the pattern of discipleship, not now you will not be going to hell, but ten years from now you will. Because this demonic atmosphere starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. Secondly, how to become a leader. Don't think that you are a pastor just because we call you a pastor. Don't. There's, there's significance in laying on of hands. There's significance in us sending you out. Yes. Don't think that I am a leader just because I'm preaching here today. 
Don't think that I am a leader because I planted 40 churches in the most difficult continent of the world with thousands of people in those churches. Don't think that I'm a leader just because of that. I am a leader if God calls me a leader. I might be one right now while I'm preaching. I might not be one tomorrow if I'm sinning. He might change his mind. God might change his mind next week if I still can be called a leader or not. Don't think you're a pastor because we call you a pastor. You will become a pastor when God calls you a pastor. There are many men in leadership today that have not the slightest reason to be there. Or some. They have not the slightest reason to be there. They've never planted anything successful. They've never done anything worthwhile yet and shifted into leadership because their pastor or another dead leader wanted them in that position. Remember now, do you really want it? You might want the money. Ooh, money, 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 money. You might want the power or the prestige, the preaching, conferences. You might want the power that you think that you will have which you haven't. You might want the honor, but do you want the price? And do you want the judgment if you fail? Don't touch my pastor. You know, that's my baby. That's my pastor. I send him out. That's my pastor. Well, I'm going to confront or criticize everyone that needs confrontation and criticizing. And actually, I like to be criticized myself too. Pastor Mitchell criticized me one year ago. He says, you shouldn't use bad language from a platform. I said, that's a good idea. Maybe I should change that. There's truth in that. That's a pretty good truth in that. Yeah. I, uh... Thanks, Pastor. Oh, I think I should change that. Because the wicked ones among us focus on the bad words instead of the context. But the right-hearted ones, they survived. Anyone can touch my pastors in the Netherlands because they are not my pastors. You can step on the plane to Holland. You don't have to tell me about it. You have the full right and full liberty behind my back. I have no problems with it to confront them and influence them on anything you like. Just try it. <laughs> and you know what? If they're wrong, they're wrong. And if they're right, they're right. And I will never defend wrongness or, and always defend righteousness. Because according to the Bible, if you want to be a pastor or a leader, you will have to have a man to follow. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, follow my example as I follow Jesus Christ, the example of Christ. How to become a leader is when you start following a man. And the only way to acquire leadership is not by Bible schools, not, not by some kind of program, but to follow another leader. So you, it's your job now and it's your responsibility to make sure that the leader that you follow is a good one. And if he ain't good, you've got to find another one that is a good one. 
When I was 18 years old, I got in contact with Pastor Mitchell. I'm pastoring now. Uh, I'm in the fellowship for 23 years and pastoring for 20 years. And I got in contact with Pastor Mitchell. Uh, we went in a singing group to the United States. Uh, everyone would thought we were going to sing Dutch songs. We didn't. We sang Jack Campaign was a wicked man from Barry Maguire. Amen. It was a real disappointment to many people. The pastor that we had was a charismatic at that time. I was a charismatic at that time. Some of you are becoming charismatics now. <laughs> pastor Mitchell was on the phone. This pastor fell in immorality. And the way Pastor Mitchell helped, dealt with that problem with me on the phone, because I didn't want to judge this man. I love this pastor. He fell into sexual immorality. But, you know, I was a charismatic, and that means don't judge. Don't criticize. Judge not, lest you not be judged. There's got to be love here. And I thought Pastor Mitchell had no love. I didn't want to take over. He wanted me to take over the church, that little church there in Holland. I didn't want to take over because I loved that man. I says, Pastor Mitchell, now, you, you, you know, 18 years old, I'm telling him what to do. You don't have any love. Pastor Mitchell was on the phone. I was on the phone. This pastor was on the phone. He says, Rudy, if he goes back to his first chick, the first girl, will he take over the church? I says, of course, Pastor Mitchell, I will take over the church. He's not going to do that. Just wait and see, Rudy. If he's going to take another girl out of the church, Rudy, are you going to take over the church? Pastor Mitchell, he will never do that. Just wait and see, Rudy. It wasn't one week later or he had another girlfriend in the church. And then I thought to myself, that guy in the United States of America really knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I remember the powerful discipleship fellowship in the United States, and I said, this man is the man that I'm going to link myself to. The only way to become a leader in the Bible is if you follow a leader. And every other leader that you follow must be a follower of Pastor Mitchell's leadership. And if the man that you are following is not representing Pastor Mitchell's leadership, then you are in deep trouble. You will have to find a solution. Matthew 15, 12. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? That can happen, you know, when you preach that people get offended sometimes. He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. And if you're a man here today in leadership and you cannot honestly say that your past at least is trying the best to become what Pastor Mitchell's leadership is all about and to reach what he has reached in his life, uh, then you have no business being in the ministry in our fellowship. Then you might say this morning, you are glorifying a man. No. I am emphasizing the only Bible pattern of reaching the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what those charismatic devils in Holland constantly told me when I was 18 years old. You're glorifying a man. They were the Korah, the Dayton's, and the Byron's that said this. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 and 7, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we command you, brothers... To keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourself know how you ought to follow 
our example. Paul said, we command you. Do I need to get the Greek out to explain you what commandment means? It's deep, eh? Oh, we don't like to be commanded in these days. Nowadays. We command you. Paul says, I command you. Who is really... Man, this Paul is really glorifying himself. Then Paul says, stay away from every brother that is idle and does not live according to the teaching that he received from us. Now, if we have to stay away from a church member that is that way, how much more do we need to stay away from a church leader that has lost a vision? Because that's ten times, ten thousand times worse. Much more dangerous. If you're doubtful about some leader, you can always call me. I have no political agenda to defend, and I will tell you exactly what I think. And there's some more that you can call. Pastor Mitchell, maybe, is a very good idea. He will tell you exactly what he thinks. Oh, that's just Rudy again this morning. Well, maybe, hopefully, by the time that you find out that I might be right, you're not in hell. Because if in the pattern of discipleship, the leadership has lost it, we are in the worst, horrible, deep trouble. And thank God that there are some powerful men out here in this conference, a lot of powerful leaders that have never lost the vision. Thank God they're there. But don't, don't be mistaken. That they are preaching here doesn't mean a thing. Don't mistake that. But they are there. They're godly. They're powerful, and they've never lost a vision. The disciples made sure that they followed a good leader. It was Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility. You will have to find a good one. Then the men after them made sure that they followed the disciples' leadership, and through them, they became like Jesus Christ. Then others followed those others. Uh, and this plan of discipleship will only work uh, if the exact copy is not being watered down and is being transferred. If your leader is watered down, get the one above him. If he is watered down, get the one above him. If he is watered down, then eventually you will end up with Pastor Mitchell. <laughs> and we will have to say this morning, he is still not watered down. It's your fault that everything in our fellowship, sooner or later, much more, or has to be focused on one man or just a few men. It's your fault. It may look like we're glorifying one man, but that's your fault. You've been a false leader for so long that we have to surpass you. You're so far removed from his example that the people under you are dying. And they will have to be focused back on the leader of our fellowship. And then to imagine that there are certain churches that rather would not have Pastor Mitchell preaching for them. Or they have him preaching for political reasons. 
or even stop him from saving people from hell in their isolated fellowship. Lastly, what I want to preach on is the result of bad leadership. David Wilkerson wrote, The church of Jesus Christ today has been experiencing history's worst spiritual droughts. Multitudes of starving sheep are crying out to their shepherds for some life-giving food. Something that will sustain them in these troubled times. Yet all too often, they are not even given a scrap of something spiritual. Now, David still, David Wilkerson, is still criticizing other churches. We heard this week that it might not be so good to criticize other churches. Well, it is very necessary that we criticize other churches and other fellowships. Even one leader said and preached, I repent from any criticism I had towards other churches and other denominations. I might start to repent of ever calling you a brother in the first place. Because I love to criticize them. Does it necessarily mean that I start criticizing everyone in here? No, it doesn't necessarily mean. Some I do, some I don't. <laughs> Healthy it is to criticize. Healthy it is to be criticized and to be corrected and to be confronted. Healthy it is to criticize the religious world. Also, to say good about a man like David Wilkerson. There's more people out there that hate this charismatic religious stuff. Yes. But you've got to keep your mind straight. And criticizing of the charismatic world is very necessary. If we deviate from what we are, we will become like those charismatic churches. It rains gold now in South Africa, you know. It rains gold. Probably they make holes in the roof where they throw gold down. There's a woman that was preaching in one of these charismatic churches, and I was reading an article. She had a little pump in a big oversized men's coat, and she's pumping this so the gold flows through her hand out to these people while she's preaching. The Christian world is so disgusting, so imbecile, that sinners are being turned off, and that's exactly the devil's strategy. One of the results of bad leadership is Amos 8, 11, 12. The days are coming, declares the sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. Not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. Men will stagger from sea to sea and wander from north to east, searching for the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. It is a foundational, fundamental violation of the plan of God in discipleship that to have leaders that are not exact copies of Pastor Mitchell's leadership. And up until this day, we are making this deadly mistake. It is one thing to have a Judas in discipleship. It's another thing to put him in leadership. We have to first, you know, in discipleship, get him to repent or to commit suicide before we send him out. Before we make him a leader. David Wilkerson again. Yes, granted. 
There is much vigorous preaching and teaching today that is called Revelation. Bibles are more visible than ever. Multitudes flock to hear their favorite preachers and teachers. Some even say that the period of Christian history is a day of revival, a glorious time of gospel light and new truth. Yet, if what is being offered to God's people is not the bread of God from heaven, then it is not spiritual food and it will not produce life. Instead, it will cause terrible spiritual starvation. If you don't do this job right, you start to starve people. And if you do that long enough, you got a deep problem. He goes on, churches are being overrun with adultery and divorce. Many Christian young people are turning for drugs, sex, and to find fulfillment. That's because much of what is heard from the pulpits today is the at blessed, pleasurable pabulum. The sermons are not meaty and not hard to swallow. In fact, they are fun. The stories are well told. The application is easy and practical. And nothing said ever offends anyone. No one has a problem taking along a non-Christian spouse or friend on Sunday because they won't be embarrassed. They won't be confronted about sin. No hot coals from God's altar will burn their consciences. No flaming arrows of conviction from the pulpit will drive them to their knees. No prophetic finger will point straight, straight at their hearts and thunder, Thou art the man. So Now, maybe it is a real comfort for you to know that we're not the only ones having some clear, powerful convictions. David Wilkinson also said, I once heard a minister prophesy that a time is coming soon when church meetings will consist of 90% of praise. And he hated it. Mind you, there are more men out there somewhere that believe what we believe. But the fact is, millions will go to heaven, but billions will go to hell. Matthew 7, 13 through 16, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many go through that. Small the gate, narrow the road that leads to life. And few there will be that find it. And the Bible says in Luke 18, 8, However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith upon the earth? Oh yes, I believe in growth. I believe in powerful, good-sized churches. Uh, I believe also in thousands of small churches. All over the world. Oh, they have such a powerful powerful position in the plan of God. Those 20, 30, 40 people churches. Don't, don't think uh, that your church is so small and that you are insignificant uh, while you see a thousand people church, charismatic idiot church on the other side of the city. Don't be, don't be afraid because God's hand is upon your church. God's hand is upon your church. It's powerful what you are doing. Oh yes, and it can grow bigger and bigger. It can become a hundred, two hundred, thousand, whatever it can become. But that's our revival. Hundreds, thousands of small, little, bigger churches reaching the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe in growth. I believe in good-sized churches. But I also believe that there's going to be a major demonic assault in the coming years. Much stronger on the church of Jesus Christ than we expect. 1 Corinthians 9.27 But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I might be a leader today. Maybe God is calling me a leader tomorrow. I hope so. The result of bad leadership is eventually that they will end up in hell. That's how serious it is. 
That's why I get a little irritated. You know why? Because I love people. I like people. I'm in this because I don't want to see you lost. Once you begin to weaken, and the weakening first will be seen in evangelism. Are you still doing it? Hardcore witnessing? It's so healthy to do, you know? It's so healthy. Just get out on the streets talking to people about Jesus Christ. Are you still in it? You know, just go out on the streets. Say, can I ask you a question? To a sinner, hardcore sinner, face to face. What do you think about Jesus Christ? What do you think about life after death? And start bringing the gospel down. So healthy. It's so wonderful to do. Preach on the streets. The weakening will be in discipleship. Jesus made some frightful sayings. He says discipleship will go. That's the first things that will go. Can you point to a number of powerful disciples in your church that you are training right now? Church numbers, they will cut it down. They will get into unity with other fellowships and other churches. Commitment will go down. Morality will go down. World evangelism will go down the drain. Man, Pastor Mitchell really knows what's good for a man, you know. It is so refreshing to be in South Africa, having left 40 churches. Plan of discipleship works, by the way, because Avid is doing a tremendous job. The flow and the power and the evangelism in Holland is not being watered down one little bit. And in South Africa, I'm working with 20 men. A lot of them on the verge. They, they're excited. They want to be sent out. They want to pioneer churches. It is so refreshing to be a world evangelist and to start all over again. To feel God's glory upon your life is going to make you a pastor. To feel His hand of approval upon your life is going to make you a leader. And to keep that and to maintain that every day of your life is your responsibility. That's all I've got.